Well, we would like to wish you a very happy <laughs> Victoria Day, Queen Victoria's birthday. That's uh, the reason that we're, uh, we're having a long weekend, or at least that's how it started anyway. And of course, uh, it's always fun to tell American friends of ours um, when they ask, uh, well, what's the purpose of this particular long weekend? And then, of course, you can look at them straight-faced and say, well, it's... Queen Victoria's birthday, and of course, uh, uh, <laughs> the reactions are uh, are quite humorous. Anyway, we'd like to wish old Vicky a very happy birthday because uh, she was a pretty swinging queen. A lot of people thought of her as uh, as being um, rather prudish and backward, and uh, she was definitely not. And had uh, I think had jazz been happening in her lifetime, I guess. Uh, I guess right at the toward the end of her life, she may have, um, through some circumstance, heard uh, an early form of jazz. But uh, perhaps if she had heard jazz, I think uh, Victoria would be uh, a rather swinging lady. I'll tell you. So that's my belief, anyway. That's what I'd like to believe in, because uh, I like to believe that everybody likes jazz, and I certainly hope that you do. And if you're new to it, well. Perhaps we can uh, kind of bring you in with some of the best sounds in jazz. This is The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show, a regular feature of CITR. We have um, some regular programming, which is basically built around the jazz feature, and the jazz feature happens at or shortly after 11 o'clock. And tonight it's the wonderful guitarist Grant Green on an album which was um, not released until after Grant had passed away. He died in 1979, and a lot of his albums were... Uh, he recorded prolifically for Blue Note Records, but a lot of his albums were not released. They didn't want to... Alfred Lyon, who ran uh, Blue Note Records, was a smart businessman, and he didn't want to flood the market with one particular artist and then have all those records lying around. Uh, so he uh, was very careful as to um, the albums that he did issue. So a lot of stuff um, sort of lay there follow until... Uh, the Japanese were the first to sort of open the Blue Note vaults, and then Michael Koskuna, uh, a great researcher um, who was on Sirius Radio and, and different other networks, uh, opened the Blue Note vaults for domestic release. And that all happened in the early 80s. And, of course, the end of the LP era, the beginning of the CD era, all that sort of stuff. And uh, just about everything that Grant Green recorded during his Blue Note uh, years has been released and is out there. And, of course, uh, people are amazed at the consistency uh, and the high level of these recordings by Grant Green, one of the great masters of the guitar. He came on the scene uh, really around the same time as Wes Montgomery. And, of course, uh, Bo Wes got a little more publicity and a little more acclaim, but Grant Green was there as well, and uh, they both set the standard. 
for uh, jazz guitar playing in the 60s. Now, I'm not denigrating all those that came before, like Jim Hall, Barney Kessel, uh, you name it. But um, Grant Green, the difference between Wes and Grant, uh, Wes played uh, a chordal style uh, as well as a single line style, and he played with his thumb. He did not use a pick. Grant Green, of course, used a pick, um, but he played a single line style, much like a saxophone player. And he always maintained that his major influence on guitar was Charlie Christian. Wes Montgomery said the same thing, but Grant's other influences were all horn players. Miles Davis, Sonny Rollins, Sonny Stitt, Dexter Gordon. That's who Grant listened to and patterned his guitar style after. And of course, uh, uh, sound is such a big part of Grant Green's concept, too. Anyway, this album on our jazz feature tonight is called Matador, and it features Grant with two members of John Coltrane's band, McCoy Tyner at the piano and the great Elvin Jones on drums. The bassist is the redoubtable Bob Cranshaw from Chicago, playing acoustic bass. And um, there's a whole bunch of really neat tunes on here, a couple of Green originals, but there's a lovely version of Grant Green playing My Favorite Things, much in the same style as Coltrane did, but um, the same basic arrangement, but with a guitar out front. So it's very interesting to hear because of his association on this album with McCoy Tyner and Elvin Jones. Anyway, that's the album we're going to hear on a jazz feature at or shortly after 11 o'clock. The wonderful guitar work of the late, great Grant Green. Well, I was kind of at loose ends as to which I was going to, music that I was going to pick to open the show this evening. And uh, I thought about one thing and another thing, and I was just listening to this band today, and I thought this would be a perfect band to open the show. And I'm talking about Shelley Mann and his men. That's what he called his band. It's a quintet, and Shelley Mann was one of the great drummers in jazz music, along with Art Blakey, Philly Joe Jones, um, Buddy Rich, um, you name it, Shelley Mann was one of the great drummers. He uh, was originally, he was born in New York, of course, and, and uh, I shouldn't say of course, but he was born in New York and headed out west and, of course, became an integral part of West Coast jazz. But his, his style, the style of his band and the band that we're going to listen to uh, kind of puts to rest that West Coast jazz was kind of limp, and overly arranged, and um, uh, didn't swing very much, and was kind of uh, kind of weak compared to the East Coast Brothers. Um, this isn't so. Uh, this stuff was recorded in 1956. This was one of the editions of Shelley Mann and his men. He had several um, bands over his long life. Shelley Mann. Uh, made tons of money in the movie studios. He, uh, he could read anything. He did movie scores. He did, uh, pop music albums. Um, he did all kinds of stuff, um, in, in Hollywood. Uh, he had moved there in the early 50s, um, when he left the Stan Kenton band and settled in Los Angeles and, um, actually became very wealthy. 
and uh, he actually owned horses and uh, and uh, all this kind of stuff. But he was a committed jazz musician. This is what it, uh, he was first and foremost. With all the other trappings, the, 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 the studio work, the movie work, the TV work, the pop music work, Shelley Mann was a committed jazz musician. After uh, several years, he actually opened his own club. And uh, I was there many, many times, Shelley Mann's Hole, and um, or Shelley's Manhole was what the <laughs> what the club was called. Not not the first one. Uh, you can make a joke out of the first one, but uh, um, Shelley's Manhole was a, one of the great jazz clubs uh, in Los Angeles. And of course, everybody played there: Mingus, Miles, you name it. And Shelley Mann played there too because that was his club. Anyhow, this particular edition of Shelley Mann's Men uh, was one of my favorites, and I became aware of one of the great uh, alto saxophonists from these recordings uh, when I first heard them, because um, I was studying the instrument and I was listening to people like Jackie McLean and Charlie Parker. Then I heard this guy, Charlie Mariano. And um, I just loved his playing. Uh, he was part of this band at the time. And on uh, trumpet was a gentleman named Stu Williamson, very, very fine um, trumpet player. And uh, Stu Williamson and Charlie Mariano made a beautiful front line on this band. Uh, the pianist is the redoubtable Russ Freeman, one of the great uh, pianists, um, worked with Chet Baker, all kinds of people and uh, was one of the mainstays of uh, Los Angeles jazz. On bass, of course, the anchor of the band was bassist Leroy Vinegar. And on drums, of course, the leader, Shelley Mann. Now, with the exception of Leroy Vinegar, all these guys, Stu Williamson, the trumpeter, Charlie Mariano, the alto saxophonist, Russ Freeman, the pianist, and Shelley Mann, uh, were all making excellent money um, in the movie studios, um, doing pop music work, doing this, that, the TV shows, all this kind of stuff. Um, the only one that wasn't in this band was Leroy Vinegar because he uh, was um, he didn't read music very well, and you really had to read extremely well to do that. But Leroy Vinegar got all the jazz gigs, and so he was the first call bassist. Um, in, uh, and as I said, he didn't read music, but he could hear, he could hear something played once and be able to play it and follow it, no matter how complex he had that kind of musical mind. One of the great bass players in the history of the music. So we're going to hear a bunch of tunes. Um, this band, uh, recorded two albums, uh, the, and this is from their first. It's called Swinging Sounds. And then they recorded uh, a second album called, appropriately enough, More Swinging Sounds. So this is one of the early editions of Shelley Mann and His Men. Once again, Stu Williamson on trumpet, the great Charlie Mariano on alto saxophone, Russ Freeman on piano, Leroy Vinegar on bass, Shelley Mann on drums. We're going to hear about four tunes. The first one is a very hip opener, which is actually based on uh, the tune T for Two, but uh, that's just the structure. It was written by Charlie Mariano and is called The Dart Game. The second one, uh, second tune we're going to hear is written by uh, pianist Russ Freeman, and it's a blues, but uh, a little different from the way East Coast guys would play the blues. And this is called B's Flat. 
And the third tune is a very reflective ballad, which features the beautiful tone of Charlie Mariano. It's written by Shelley Mann, and it's called Parthenia. And the final tune we're going to hear is a classic written by a guy named Bernie Miller and called, appropriately enough, Bernie's Tune. So those are the first four tunes that we're going to hear this evening. Shelley Mann and his men, Swingin' Sounds.
Mm-hmm. 
a whole bunch of uh, pieces by Shelley Mann and his men. Uh, this was the 1956 edition. Uh, they made two albums for contemporary records, and uh, this is among, of all Shelley's bands, I would uh, put this as my favorite of all his organizations for a variety of reasons. Uh, the, the music uh, doesn't sound dated at all. It's It swings, it's got uh, energy, it's fun to listen to. The musicians are obviously having fun. Um, it's creative, it's beautifully played. Um, and this band, of course, could hold its own with any uh, East Coast band. Um, there was at the time people were saying, "Well, West Coast jazz is kind of weak need and and uh, limp and doesn't have much uh, much of this and that and the other thing." But a band like this, uh, it shows a little bit of misunderstanding at the time that there, <laughs> there was a lot of great jazz happening on the West Coast. And, and this band could have, could uh, hold its own with Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers or uh, Miles Davis's band or Max Roach's band, um, absolutely. And we heard a whole bunch of tunes from here. As I said, they did two albums uh, for contemporary. One called uh, Swinging Sounds, of which all these tunes are from, and a second one a little while later called More Swinging Sounds. <laughs> there you go. Um, the tunes, oh, and the people involved here, of course, the wonderful uh, Stu Williamson on trumpet, who was one of the leading trumpet players on the West Coast, a very, very fine musician. Um, Charlie Mariano, one of my favorites on alto saxophone, originally from Boston. They used to call him the Boston Bird uh, because, of course, like most alto players from that era, uh, Charlie Parker was his major influence. On piano, the wonderful Russ Freeman. And on bass, the redoubtable Leroy Vinegar, one of the finest bass players ever. And, of course, the great Shelly Mann on drums. And um, all of this was recorded in Hollywood in January of 1956. We heard a whole bunch of tunes. Uh, the first one was uh, by Charlie Mariano. It was based on T for Two, but it was uh, a complete reworking of that. And Charlie... Uh, uh, reworked the uh, everything and called it the dart game. Then we heard a Russ Freeman composition, which was uh, based on the blues and uh, a very different way of playing the blues uh, than uh, some of the East Coast guys, but uh, creative all the same. And that, and that was called B's Flat. And uh, the third tune was by uh, the leader of the band, Shelley Mann, a very beautiful ballad which featured, of course, the magnificent tone of Charlie Mariano that was called uh, Parthenia and then we heard an up-tempo tune uh, called Bernie's Tune which was a jazz standard and a neat little arrangement of that tune it was written by a guy named Bernie Miller I think I don't think he wrote anything else um, that I, I know of anyhow th th this tune became a jazz standard and the final tune uh, I decided to play one more tune uh, and that, of course, was the classic written by Sonny Rollins and called Doxy and played by the band. So there you go. So that was a, actually a good part of uh, this first album that we heard. And I think uh, this band, 
Uh, I'm going to do uh, down the road sometime a jazz feature on uh, on this particular edition of uh, Shelley Mann and His Men, one of the many editions of uh, uh, Shelley Mann organizations. All right. Hope you enjoyed that, Seth. We're going to uh, actually we are going to come back. Right away, uh, I had uh, something in mind that I was going to uh, tell you about, but I'm not going to do that uh, now. But I would like to tell you that uh, this is the Victoria A Day <laughs> edition of the Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker, and uh, we're heard here on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Yesterday, May the 17th, would have been the 89th birthday of one of the movers and shakers of jazz music and one of the most individual sounds on the alto saxophone. And uh, definitely a gentleman who affected my outlook on music and uh, was... uh, Someone that uh, I had admired very much from his uh, early days right through. And uh, as I said, he set a standard on the alto saxophone that um, still hasn't been uh, equaled. Uh, Later on in life, of course, he had a lot of ups and downs in the early part of his life due to uh, growing up in Harlem and all that sort of stuff. But, um, and and also the whole drug culture. But... um, he became uh, one of the great educators in jazz music. People like Steve Davis, people like Jimmy Green, people like uh, Mike DeRubo, um, all kinds of people came out of Jackie McLean's school that he uh, put together uh, along with his wife, Dolly. Uh, they formed this school, the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut. And, and Jackie McLean became one of the great educators in jazz and continued to perform right up until his death in uh, 2006. This is some of my favorite Jackie McLean. This is from a, a later period in life. I, I love his early stuff, and that was the stuff that really influenced me. But, of course, Jackie uh, evolved and changed uh, over the years. And, um, again, these uh, we're going to hear two tracks from a recording that was never um, issued. It was one of those things that stayed in the Blue Note vaults, and they discovered these tapes and, of course, uh, eventually did issue them. And I'm very happy because uh, it's Jackie in peak form uh, on these recordings with pianist Larry Willis, uh, who came, he only uh, made one appearance at the cellar and a wonderful pianist, um, just such a musical uh, person. And um, Larry was just just a a delightful person and, and, and such a great uh, uh, supportive uh, musician on the piano. On bass, Don Moore. And on drums, a young man who is really about to make his mark on jazz. And it was Jackie McLean that gave him the first opportunity to record and uh, get exposure on the jazz scene. The drummer, Jack DeJanette. We're going to hear two tunes. Uh, the first one is written by bassist Don Moore, and it's called the Jossa Bossa. 
And the second tune is uh, a little more adventurous composition by Jackie McLean, and it's called Combined Effort. So here then from these recordings that were done in April of 1966, the great Jackie McLean and uh, a belated happy birthday to you, sir, one of the great musicians in jazz. Thank you. 
We heard three pieces by the great late Jackie McLean, John Landwood McLean, born in Harlem on May 17, 1932, and passed away March 31, 2006. Um, some people say 1931, but um, he told me himself that he was born in 1932, so I kind of believe uh, Jackie. Um, I guess there was some discrepancy in the birth certificate or something about the year. Anyhow, anyway, he was uh, 74 years old and, of course, had uh, established a great career as a, as a teacher. But his um, concept on the alto saxophone, uh, as he described it, no sugar added to that tone. And, um, of course, uh, these are some very fine later period recordings by uh, Jackie McLean that he did for uh, Blue Note. And they uh, they hung around in the vaults for about 20 years before they were actually um, issued. And uh, it's from a date called High Frequency. And we heard Jackie in a quartet setting, which was rare. All, he usually always worked with another horn on the front line. Um, but this time, just in a quartet with the great Larry Willis on piano, who is, of course, uh, still very much with us. And uh, he was... Uh, uh, at the cellar uh, during uh, during the wind down of um, of the club, Larry Willis appeared there uh, with a, a group um, and uh, with Mike DeRubo, a wonderful alto saxophonist who actually was a student of Jackie McLean's. And uh, we heard uh, Larry Willis on piano, Don Moore on bass, and one of the early performances by Jack DeJohnette on drums. He had just moved to New York. And it was Jackie McLean that gave him some of the his first work, not only um, on gigs, but uh, on record dates as well. All this was recorded uh, in Rudy Van Gelder's studio April 18, 1966. We heard three tunes. The first one was written by bassist Don Moore called Jossa Bossa. And the second tune was a Jackie McLean original, a little more adventurous, called Combined Effort. And the final tune was written by Larry Willis and called The Bullfrog. Jackie McLean, he'll certainly be missed and uh, really, um, really made his mark on the, uh, on the jazz world, and we still remember Jackie McLean. We'll be back with a piece of music that I played last week, but I'm going to repeat it this week because it's such a, a gorgeous piece of music by Christine Jensen and uh, the, her orchestra, uh, made up of Montreal musicians from her uh, Juno Award-winning album, Habitat. We have a couple of messages, and uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. And here's the first message. How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building. Just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers 
or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen and then get riding. Yes, of course, uh, the weather. <laughs> well, it hasn't been all that bad over the, over the weekend. Uh, it, it, they predicted worse, but uh, it, it really didn't uh, materialize into uh, anything really awful, although it may not have been ideal. Tonight, we're going to have a few clouds, and then it's going to completely cloud over uh, this evening with a low of 12. Tomorrow will be mainly cloudy. But then clearing again in the afternoon, much like today, we're going to get a few sunny periods in the afternoon with a low of 12 and a high of 21. Uh, the prediction for Wednesday is simply cloudy with a low of 12 and a high of 18. Then Thursday is cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower, low of 12, high of 18. Uh, Friday, again, cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower, low of 13, high of 18. And then the weekend... Doesn't look too bad. It's a mix of sun and cloud with temperatures between 11 and 20. So that's not too bad. It should, uh, should be tolerable anyway. And uh, there's always uh, so much more activity going on after, the, after today because uh, it's sort of uh, today marks the Victoria Day, really marks the uh, unofficial beginning of, uh, of summer and summer activities. So there you go. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course, we're also on your computer, www.citr.ca. This piece of music we're going to hear is by the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra. As I said, I'm, I'm not going to go into all the names of the people involved here, um, ex- with the exception of um, the bassist and uh, the drummer. Fraser Hollins is the bassist. And the drummer um, is um, Richard Irwin. And, of course, there's, uh, uh, the band is made up of uh, a whole bunch of uh, saxophones, uh, about five of them. Um, my good friend David Grott is playing lead trombone. There's about three other trombones, four trombones, five trombones, hey, tuba as well. And then a whole bunch of trumpet players, including Ingrid Jensen or... Um, Christine Jansen's uh, older sister, Ingrid, one of the leading lights of the trumpet. Now, um, the soloist on here is an extremely fine uh, Montreal-born uh, saxophonist named Chet Doxas, uh, D-O-X-A-S. And uh, he has, he's an extremely musical person. He has performed out at the cellar with his brother, uh, Jim, um, who is a fine drummer. But Chet is an extremely talented uh, tenor saxophonist, and he takes the long solo on this piece, which is kind of fed by passages from the, from the band. This is a composition by Christine Jensen, and it's called uh, Nishiyu. And it's 
reflects a personal journey uh, stemming from a political movement. In January of 2013, six Cree youth walked 1,500 kilometers from their native community in northern Quebec to Ottawa, and their journey came about by the movement uh, called Idle No More. And um, this was inspired by the hunger strike of uh, Chief Teresa Spence, which I'm sure you've all read about. Anyway, their trek intended to raise awareness about the problems facing uh, people of Canada's First Nations. And this inspired uh, uh, Christine to write this composition uh, because uh, the group, the Cree uh, uh, natives, called it the Journey of the Nish Eu. And uh, so she, this is why she called the piece uh, this. The group took um, 45 days to complete the journey from north to south, and they battled some extreme conditions, including a minus 50 degree Celsius winds. Can you imagine? Anyway, they ended up in Ottawa, and of course it was very inspiring to Christine and, and uh, really motivated her to write this piece of music. So here it is from this award-winning album. It won the Juno Award for a large um, jazz ensemble. The, the album is called Habitat. This is the Christine Jensen Jazz Orchestra and Nishiyu featuring Chet Doxas on tenor saxophone.
A rather extraordinary piece of music written by Christine Jansen and played by her jazz orchestra made up of uh, Montreal musicians. And the soloist on that um, was Chet Doxas on tenor saxophone. And, of course, a very imaginative uh, player. And uh, the piano, John Roney, the bassist, Fraser Hollins, and the drummer, Richard Irwin, and, of course, this huge orchestra um, that's put together by uh, Christine Jansen. And this was was her composition dedicated to a great trek that a group of uh, First Nations youth took from their home in northern Quebec to Ottawa as part of the Idle No More movement. And uh, the piece of music was called Nishiyu, and uh, we heard the piece in its entirety. I played this last week, and someone asked me to uh, play this again because uh, uh, it is a fascinating piece of music, as are all the compositions on this album. And it's a great album. As I said, it won the Juno Award this year for uh, Best Large Jazz Ensemble, and it is Christine Jansen's Uh, finest album so far, and she's done a few really good ones. This one is called Habitat, and um, again, just uh, you can Google the um, information on there, and and, uh, I'm sure you can find ways to to purchase this, or simply go to uh, uh, one of those uh, small, friendly stores, and and, uh, such as Red Cat Records up on Main Street, uh, you can order records from uh, from them, and they will they will bring it in for you at uh, any time. This came out on the Just in Time label out of uh, out of Montreal. Habitat is the name of the album. You are listening to the Jazz Show on CITR. My name is Gavin Walker, and uh, we're also on the computer, of course, www.citr.ca, and just like to remind you that on June the 2nd, mark that on your calendar because that this is our going to be our annual, uh, this year, our annual jazz festival show where I basically turn the show over to my good friend John Orsic. Uh, John, of course, is the media director and one of the founding fathers of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, the people that bring you uh, the largest jazz festival and one of the best-loved festivals uh, in Vancouver over the summertime. And the jazz festival, of course, is uh, on from June the 20th right up until Canada Day, July 1st. And there's just a ton of stuff. And uh, John is going to make his annual appearance on June the 2nd. That's the first Monday in June. Uh, to the show, and as I said, I, I basically take a back seat and let John um, pick the music and discuss it, and I throw in my few two cents worth uh, every once in a while, and we have a good time for the whole show uh, presenting artists that are going to appear uh, at the Jazz Festival, and uh, John will elaborate on their 
where they're playing and what they're doing, describing the music, and of course playing as much uh, music as possible during the uh, basically the three hours that we do the show. So uh, mark that on your calendar to check out June the 2nd. That's the Jazz Festival Show. We are going to present now the soprano saxophone. We all know the tenor saxophone. That's the most popular of all the saxophones. The alto is next uh, in, in popularity and wide use. Then there's the big baritone saxophone, uh, which is, of course, in wide use as well, but a little less. The soprano saxophone in jazz history, um, although it's very common now, it's common in... Uh, more fusion jazz, it's used a lot, but of course it was, uh, um, a lot of people think it was John Coltrane who brought the soprano uh, to the forefront. In a way, yes, because he was John Coltrane, but one of the first soprano players, and he was committed to that instrument um, throughout his playing life, was Steve Lacey. And it was Mr. Lacey who inspired Coltrane to go out and get himself a soprano saxophone and start working on it. Steve Lacey was there long before John Coltrane even thought about playing the soprano saxophone. And it was Steve Lacey who was really the first uh, modern player of the um, soprano saxophone. So we're going to hear, first of all, the an older gentleman who originated... Um, the concept, the older concept of the soprano saxophone. He's truly one of the pioneers of, of jazz music, period, uh, along with Louis Armstrong. I think he's just as important as Louis Armstrong, although he doesn't have the same name. But I'm talking about Sidney Bechet. Sidney Bechet was from New Orleans and, of course, uh, uh, became most prominent. He had ups and downs in his career, worked as a tailor, uh, when things were tight and there were no gigs. And, and of course, uh, uh, people had different tastes. Uh, his style of jazz uh, for a few years went out of style and then was rediscovered again. All this kind of up and down thing. Um, and, of course, Sidney went, uh, decided to, uh, because of his, he was raised in New Orleans, and, of course, uh, that's French culture down there. Uh, Bechet, of course, um, decided to go to France. And, of course, he was absolutely worshipped over there. They have a statue of, of him uh, in, in Paris because uh, he made such a mark on, uh, on jazz music, and, and he was worshipped and respected over there. He got the respect uh, over in Europe that he never got in North America, and he spent his last days in uh, France. Great musician. We're going to hear two tunes by Sidney Bechet, and he really set the style for the soprano saxophone. That was his instrument. He played the clarinet, too, but it was the soprano saxophone. He was really a pioneer on that instrument. We're going to hear two pieces of music by Sidney uh, with some different people accompanying him. The first piece of music is George Gershwin's Summertime. And he's accompanied by Mead Lux Lewis on piano, Teddy Bunn on guitar, Johnny Williams on bass, and Big Sit Catlett on drums from 1939. Then after that, we're going to go to 1947 and hear Sidney's 
uh, version of Cole Porter's Love for Sale with a different band, Lloyd Phillips on piano and the great Pops Foster on bass and Arthur Herbert on drums, recorded in 1947. So, first of all, Summertime, followed by Love for Sale, and of course featuring the great Sidney Bechet on soprano saxophone. Thank you. 
All right. And of course, that distinctive vibrato um, by Sidney Bechet, uh, always, uh, always identifying him. But he was such a great influence on early players of that instrument, and there weren't too many. Johnny Hodges from the Duke Ellington Band played uh, the soprano saxophone for a few years, and he studied with uh, Sidney Bechet and, uh, of course, uh, brought a slightly different concept to the instrument. But Bechet was definitely the pioneer of the soprano saxophone and one of the first artists to uh, play that extremely difficult uh, instrument. They make them much better today, uh, but they're still tricky to play uh, and uh, to play in tune and and to get a good sound from. And uh, yeah, so this is kind of an exploration into uh, two pioneers of the soprano saxophone. Now, this, the pioneer of the modern soprano saxophone was New York-born Stephen Lackritz, better known as Steve Lacey. Lacey, of course, had has come to Vancouver. Uh, he passed away a few years ago, but he came to Vancouver um, several times. One of the finest solo uh, saxophone concerts. I'm not a huge fan of, of solo saxophone concerts, but uh, I went to hear Steve Lacey at the Western Front um, doing a solo saxophone thing, and I was completely knocked out. It was it was coherent, um, melodic, adventurous, and uh, all he did was simply play his soprano saxophone. But he, the music was so um, it was like a, a a symphony for one instrument, and uh, and Lacey uh, Lacey was a true genius on that instrument. So he was really the first. Um, modern soprano saxophone player. He uh, uh, began playing in more traditional bands, playing uh, uh, clarinet, and then he he, uh, got himself a soprano and decided to devote himself to that instrument entirely, and that's what he played for the rest of his life. He didn't play any other saxophones. And, uh, of course, he um, some of his first early exposures uh, was to uh, the music of Cecil Taylor, and uh, of course, Lacey always had a sense of adventure, and he was one of the experts on Thelonious Monk's music, and he played um, with Monk's quartet, expanding it to a quintet for about six months in uh, 1960, and unfortunately, there were no commercial records made of that association, but uh, Lacey um, knew as much of Monk's music as Thelonious himself and uh, made a study of um, all of his tunes. We're going to hear two Thelonious Monk compositions that Lacey recorded back in 1958 with a hand-picked band with Mal Waldron on piano, Buell Neidlinger on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And this is from a new jazz album called Reflections. Steve Lacey plays Thelonious Monk. And we're going to hear two tunes. We've got, the first one is the, the complex composition called Four in One. And the second tune is a tune called Baya, both written by Thelonious Monk and played by the first master of the modern soprano saxophone, Steve Lacey. Thank you. 
Well, we heard the, first of all, Sidney Bechet, the New Orleans-born pioneer of the soprano saxophone, of the traditional soprano sound on the soprano saxophone, and then the pioneer, New York-born Steve Lacey, of um, the modern concept of the soprano saxophone. From one of Steve's early recordings, Obviously, he had established his identity on the instrument. As I mentioned before, it was Steve Lacey who inspired John Coltrane to take up the instrument. And, of course, the soprano saxophone is commonly played today. But uh, back in the, uh, in the 50s, there, uh, there weren't too many people playing the soprano, except as an instrument in ensemble and, and big bands to get a certain sound sometimes. But uh, in terms of a solo saxophone instrument, there was really nobody until Steve Lacey came along. Um, and Bechet was one of his uh, influences. And, and of course, uh, Lacey took the soprano in a more modern direction. And, of course, became an expert in the music of Thelonious Monk. And this is from one of Steve's early albums for the new jazz label called Reflection. Steve Lacey plays Thelonious Monk. Steve Lacey, soprano saxophone, Mal Waldron at the piano, Buell Neidliger on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And we heard two Monk compositions, Four in One was the first one. And the second tune with a Latin flavor was called Baia. And uh, Lacey, of course, went on to a great career playing uh, all styles of music and um, passed away a few years ago, died of cancer. And uh, we lost one of the great voices of the soprano saxophone, Steve Lacey. Mm-hmm. All right, we have um, a few things to tell you about, and we're going to get into our jazz feature in... A moment or so, or a few moments. And uh, we just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9. My name is Gavin Walker. We're also on the computer, CITR.ca, for live streaming. And, of course, our podcasts are available. That's They're very accessible, too. If you want to go back and check out an earlier show, uh, you can find that on uh, a whole archive of uh, our earlier shows via um, our podcast services, and uh, something you missed or something you may want to hear, you can always go back and uh, and check it out. So there you go. Very simple. And that's CITR.ca. You can also um, find our podcasts on uh, a great website, which is put together by my good friend Brian Nation. And uh, he keeps that website up to date. There's all there's uh, current gigs on that site, uh, as well as um, uh, definitely uh, uh, all kinds of links, uh, uh, musicians' biographies, our jazz features are on there. Uh, it's a really, really comprehensive website, and Brian does his best to keep it up to date. And uh, there's so many uh, small gigs happening in Vancouver, and it really, if you're interested in following this music and some of our great resident musicians and where they're playing and when and all this kind of stuff, uh, Vancouver Jazz is a very, very good site to go to. So, um, as, as I said, this uh, Corey Weeds from the uh, X. Uh, owner of the cellar has set up a number of gigs and and they're posted on there uh he's doing uh every tuesday night down at a club 
down on Comox Street called 1789. It's a very fine restaurant and a very comfortable uh, club, and they're featuring jazz every Tuesday night, produced by Corey Weeds. And uh, there is a, that's a good place to go. That's just one of the venues that's uh, in and around Vancouver. There's a great uh, jazz dance um, gig every Thursday night at the Fairview with John Nolan's uh, trio featuring different people. And uh, I'm there quite often. I uh, show up, do uh, several tunes myself and uh, with, the, with the band, have a great time. And uh, it's a really nice gig, and it goes from 6 to 9, and it's at the Fairview Pub on, uh, on Broadway. And it's a lot of fun, and uh, there's also some very fine singers that, uh, that join the band as well. And the music is uh, accessible. It's uh, danceable, um, more along the swing jazz lines, and uh, it's, it's always fun. To play there, uh, Tilden Webb uh, very often plays piano, or Tom Arnson, uh, and various other musicians, including myself, uh, pop down there and make our contribution. So that's a good gig to go to. That's John Nolan's Jazz Trio at the Fairview Pub. That's from 6 to 9 every Thursday evening. Of course, the Big Jazz Festival. I mentioned uh, earlier on in the show we're going to be having our jazz feature uh, jazz show on June the 2nd. So kind of circle that uh, on your calendar. I'm going to take a back seat and get John Orsick, of course, who appears here just about every year uh, to present uh, what is happening at this year's jazz festival and, and expand on uh, where it is and what's going on and these uh, different musicians from all over the world that will be playing here in in Vancouver. And, of course, this jazz festival is one of the most acclaimed of all festivals uh, that happen in our city during the summertime. And uh, it always draws a huge um, group of uh, international, local, and, um, and Canadian musicians from June the 20th to July 1st. So on June the 2nd will be our Jazz Festival show. We'll be doing the full three hours with, with John and talking about uh, the Jazz Festival. I basically turn the microphone over to him. He picks all the music, and I interject every once in a while with a comment or two, and we have a good time, and you get a complete overview of this year's Jazz Festival. Then you can make your uh, your purchase decisions um, as to uh, the big ticket items. There's all kinds of free stuff. There's about 150 free concerts. That's something the jazz festival does every year. And I know people are struggling with money and so on. And sometimes you just can't spend the money. You need to spend it on other things. And uh, you can still enjoy the jazz festival and not pay a penny. Um, sure, it's great if you can afford the big ticket items, but if you can't, there's still lots of great um, free music around, and that's all brought to you by the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And as I mentioned, uh, my friend John Orsick will be doing the show with me. He is the uh, one of the founding fathers of the uh, Jazz Festival, and he is currently the media director of the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. So that show will be happening June the 2nd. So uh, please try and make an effort to, uh, to join us. 
One more thing, my good friend Ken Speller, wonderful musician and repairman. Um, if you play a reed instrument, uh, saxophone, flute, clarinet, Ken is the guy to keep those instruments in shape. Uh, he's a fine musician himself, plays them all, and so he knows what he's doing. He has his own workshop right in his home, so he keeps his costs to a very, very reasonable limit. And uh, he can be contacted at 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or via email at kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. He's a good man to know. Keep your instrument in shape and make you sound uh, your best, whether you're an amateur, student, or a professional. All right, uh, one more brief message, and on to our jazz feature. A billion dollars on the ground, all stretched out and uncurled, would extend about four times around the circumference of the world. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the Main Street area at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Lucky's Comics, Neptune Records, RX Comics, Red Cat Records, The Regional Assembly of Text, Temple of the Modern Girl Boutique, The Wallflower Modern Diner, and Woo Vintage Clothing. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or online at citr.ca. Our jazz feature artist is a gentleman named Grant Green. Grant Green was one of the most prominent guitar players to sort of seem to come out of nowhere in the early 60s. He began recording for Blue Note Records. He is originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and um, at the behest of the great alto saxophonist Lou Donaldson, uh, who played a gig with Grant in St. Louis. He, he convinced Grant to move to New York and recommended him to Alfred Lyon from Blue Note Records. Now, interestingly enough, um, Oren Keep News from Riverside Records, uh, that was another small independent label, had signed Wes Montgomery. And, of course, uh, or um, Alfred Lyon from Blue Note Records was only too happy to, to have a guitarist of equal uh, talent come into Blue Note Records. And, and um, it seemed that as if Wes Montgomery had come out of nowhere. Uh, he, he was beginning to record prolifically, and so was Grant Green. And they sort of set the standard. Wes Montgomery got a little more uh, critical acclaim than, than Grant, and, and, uh, and yet Grant was uh, equally strong as a stylist. Wes Montgomery, of course, was was almost freaky because he didn't. West didn't read music. Um, he he played everything by ear. Uh, he played only with his thumb. Never used a pick. And of course, uh, his style was partial um, uh, single line and partial chords. Grant Green was a little different. He used a pick. Got a great sound of out of his guitar and played mostly single lines, very much like a saxophone player. And as a matter of fact, um, Grant 
uh, often said that his biggest influences, aside from Charlie Christian, uh, the father of modern jazz guitar, um, were saxophone players. Sonny Rollins, Dexter Gordon, Sonny Stitt. That's who Grant listened to and, and modeled his style after. And, of course, there was nobody like Grant Green. He was very well liked by Alfred Lyon, and Alfred recorded him prolifically. As a matter of fact, Grant Green made more records for Blue Note than any other artist on that label. And, of course, he also appeared as a sideman as well. Now, a lot of his stuff was never issued at the time uh, because Alfred Lyon was a smart businessman, and he couldn't flood the market with too many Grant Green records. You just didn't do that, especially with jazz. Uh, you had to keep the issues to limited. So this particular recording uh, didn't come out until after Grant's um, uh, death in 1979. This is a very fine recording. And we're really glad that it did come out because it's one of Grant's finest. With Mr. Green on guitar and two members of John Coltrane's band, McCoy Tyner at the piano and Elvin Jones on drums. Plus, the great Bob Cranshaw on bass, a better rhythm section you couldn't find. All of this was recorded, um, actually it's a bit of an anniversary because May 20th, 1964, uh, tomorrow or after midnight, this will be the uh, anniversary of this date. And uh, it was recorded at Van Gelder Studios. The album was called Matador. And uh, it's just such a fine represent uh, representation of Grant Green's playing. So the tunes, there's five of them. Matador, written by Grant Green, is the opening track. Then a delightful version with the same arrangement that John Coltrane used of Rodgers and Hammerstein's My Favorite Things. And, of course, then the following tune is kind of a moody thing entitled, uh, uh, by Grant Green entitled Green Jeans. And then uh, an exotic piece of music written by pianist Duke Pearson kind of has a Middle Eastern flavor, and it's called Bedouin. And the final tune is a lovely sprung waltz version of a, a Burt Bacharach, uh Hal David tune called Wives and Lovers. So here then is the great guitar work of Grant Green with McCoy Tyner at the piano, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And we begin with the title track, Matador, our jazz feature this evening.
our jazz feature this evening. The music of Grant Green from an album that was issued on Blue Note Records called Matador. And that uh, features, of course, McCoy Tyner at the piano, Bob Crenshaw on bass, and the great Elvin Jones on drums. And this was one of the albums that uh, somehow... uh, was kept in the vaults for many years and wasn't issued until uh, after Grant's uh, death in 1979. And then, of course, the uh, the Japanese, first of all, went into the Blue Note vaults to uh, check out on things and discovered all kinds of uh, previously unreleased sessions and began putting them out on um, the LP was still fairly prominent in the early 80s, and then, of course, CDs were right around the corner. And uh, then the U.S. folks uh, got a hold of the idea, and they began issuing uh, all these um, unissued sessions, and they got uh, the great uh, detective, musical detective Michael Cascuna, to go into the Blue Note vaults and find all kinds of things, uh, including this album. And, of course, it was put out on uh, easily available CDs. This uh, date was recorded, uh, well, today, May the 20th in 1964. And it featured Grant with uh, two members of John Coltrane's classic quartet, McCoy Tyner at the piano and Elvin Jones on drums. And they were anchored by the great Chicago bassist, who is still with us, Bob Crenshaw. And we heard five tunes from this album. The first one was uh, the title track and an an original composition by Grant Green called Matador. Then the uh, second tune was a delightful version of My Favorite Things with basically the same arrangement that John Coltrane used, uh, except that it was played by Mr. Green. Then we heard uh, a tune that was loosely based on um, Miles Davis's So What?, and uh, called Green Jeans, written by Grant Green. Then we heard a delightful um, Middle Eastern-flavored composition by pianist Duke Pearson called Bedouin. And uh, the final tune was called Wives and Lovers, and that was written by Bert Bacharach and Hal David, and that was uh, delivered in delightful sprung waltz feel. So there you have it, our jazz feature this evening, and... The Jazz Show. We'll be back next week. The Jazz Feature next week is an interesting album. We've done this before, but it was an album that was previously unissuable until they found the the proper tapes. Uh, somehow it was put on some kind of tape, and 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 it didn't sound very 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 good. Uh, but Michael Cascuna. The the uh, the great musical detective went in and found the uh, found the master tape of the album and uh, presented it to uh, the leader Andrew Hill for his approval and Hill said this is a great date and it should be out and they put it out and it was one of the great undiscovered Blue Note uh, dates and it got all kinds of uh, raves and accolades the album is called Passing Ships. And it's an adventurous album, uh, as most Andrew Hill albums are, and yet it retains uh, a lot of the traditional swing and and, uh, uh, feel of Blue Note Records, but it had that uh, great edgy feel as well, and it features uh, 
a couple of trumpet players, great trumpet players, Dizzy Reese, originally from Jamaica, and uh, Woody Shaw, one of the giants of the trumpet, and a whole bunch of other people, uh, Joe Farrell, um, Howard Johnson on tuba, all kinds of uh, interesting folks. And so that's going to be our jazz feature album next week called Passing Ships. And if you haven't heard this one, try and tune in and, and catch it. We'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening. And uh, on behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, and The Jazz Show, and we'll return in seven days' time, and uh, certainly hope that you all had a delightful holiday. Just to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee-oo-doo